The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Ecclesia, will you join me and thank Matt and the band for leading us so beautifully? It is a gift that we have to uh, experience such beautiful music week after week. And I often pray for you as we sing uh, that particular ones of these songs would stick with you. Like, um, like they talk about kind of like an earworm, you know, it just keeps coming back. And this song particularly written by our dear brother Thad, it's a, it's a new song, but it sounds like an old hymn. And I don't know where you are, but my guess is that uh, you would benefit this week from waking up every morning and just saying, Lord, I don't want to walk away. I don't want to walk away. Bind me to your side. Bind me to your side. That'd be part of what you just sing and you pray naturally through the week. Would you take a moment and just allow me to say a prayer for us as we open the scriptures together today that uh, God would open our ears to hear what he would have us to hear. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Lord, that for each of us, we are, we realize, God, we're, we're prone to wander. We have a natural tendency to wander away from you, to think we can do it on our own. And we pray, God, that just as we sang in this beautiful hymn, that we'd be reminded that we're a people that need to be bound to your side. We need to wake up each day with this sense of the promise that you made to us, that you said you'll never leave us or forsake us, that you're always with us. And so, Lord, if you're with us and you're for us, the scriptures say, then who could be against us? That every day we could wake up with a sense of mission and purpose that comes from knowing you and following you. We pray today, God, that as we open the scriptures, as we we pause, that, uh, Lord, you would soften our hearts to hear what you desire for us to hear, each of us in unique places. But God, we trust that your spirit meets us in that place. We pray all of this together, and we pray it humbly in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, see, it is a gift to share this day together because of the crazy traffic patterns. There were many of you here that didn't get to hear us toast you and celebrate you. Mothers and ladies, we are grateful for you in the ways that you uh, serve. And uh, a mimosa and a flower is just a really small way to say how grateful uh, we are for you. Um, this is one of those weeks we are in the process of kind of winding down our series in Exodus. And I wonder from time to time, you may get a sense or a whiff of the kind of... Um, I don't know if you call it pressure or responsibility that people like I feel or uh, Jim that's closing the, the series out next week or Sean or Titus or any of us that are called to teach you. We, we don't have the same um, pressure that some of you are engineers and you're literally like designing bridges that need to not collapse, right? So my math is lousy, like I don't want your job. Um, or to be a surgeon, we've had so many surgeons in Ecclesia that I just literally like, when you're a surgeon, you don't get to have a bad day, right? Like every day, you've got to be on. One of the longtime Ecclesians uh, uh, that served as a, uh, a heart surgeon, a pediatric heart surgeon, I got to go and watch him operate. And uh, I, I read a, a small book about 
what it's like to be a heart surgeon. They describe that operating on the heart of a baby, it's like having to cut through wet tissue. It's just so fragile, right? And I, I just go like, I don't, I don't want that job. And he would do like uh, surgery sometimes that took 13 or 15 hours, right? I just got to preach to you for 30 minutes. That's all I got to do. And, uh, and yet there is this sense of if I don't do my job well, Like particularly in this series, if I don't bring to you the importance, we're in a series on the Exodus, and this is what you need to know about the Exodus. The Exodus is not just a historical narrative from the Bible, it's this lens through which we see all of the redeeming and saving work that God does through history and in our lives. And if I come to you in this, and I don't do my job in helping you understand the beauty and the uniqueness of the Exodus narrative, then I've failed you in some really big ways. So I come to it with a sense of pressure Right? Because for you and for me, it's important that we know this is not just a story in the Bible, but this is our story. That though we were not Hebrews enslaved in Egypt, we've all been slaves nonetheless. And if we don't identify with that sense of slavery, that at some point in our lives, all of us have woken up and lived the life of slaves. We've just made bricks. We wake up the next day, we make more bricks, and we make more bricks, and we make more bricks. And we live a life where we're bound to things that we weren't intended to be bound to. And that in that story, that God leans in and says, I didn't make you for slavery, right? I made you for the promised land. I made you for this beautiful land, this land of abundance. This is where I want to take you. But what we know in the Exodus is that the only way to get to the promised land is to go through the wilderness. And that it's in the wilderness that God teaches us and he shapes us and he makes us to be the sons and daughters that he longs for us to be, right? And all of us know this through experience, right? That the greatest things we've learned, we've learned in what? Trouble and hardship, right? Like you don't learn anything from sitting at home eating chocolate cake, nobody does, right? I wish you did, it sounds great. But the reality is we learn when we go through hard things and when we go through hard things, God has a way of leaning in and shaping us and forming us and making us the people that can then live in the promised land. And so my job, in so many ways, is to help you see that story and the way it intersects your story and to help allow God to guide us out of slavery through the wilderness and onto the promised land. Now for some of us, the land of promise doesn't sound as great as it really is because ancient metaphors sometimes are hard to translate, right? So the Bible talks about uh, the promised land is the land that flows with milk and honey, right? And some of us go like, I'm lactose intolerant. Like, I don't really, like, I don't really want to be in the promised land. Like, I don't really know, like, what's the deal with the promised land? Why is that so great? Well, a couple things I want you to hear, right? Um, one, so just a starter, right? In a land of honey, that means where there is honey, there are bees. And what do we know about bees? Where there are bees, there are flowers. There's thriving agriculture where there are bees, right? So I would propose to you where there are honey, where there are honey, there are bees. And where there are bees, there are artichokes. There are avocados. There are all things that bloom, right? Just go through the produce section and think about the things you love, right? They're all the things that grow, and, and the bees are a sign of God's abundance, right? And where, where there is honey, right, what I would tell you from my travels, I love the United States of America, I love Houston, Texas, but one of the things I love about Houston, Texas is the world has come to us, and what I would propose to you is that in many places in the world they do food, and particularly sweets, better than we do sweets. So when I'm in the Middle East or the Near East, I eat their sweets and go like, why don't we do this, right? 
That their sweets tend to be more naturally sweetened. Right? I, I find often ours, right? You can go get a cheesecake and you're like, what, what is the chemically kind of, anybody else have a problem with that? Right? Now today, I wanted you to get a taste of it. So um, stationed up front, there's one under the couches here. We got a little bit of baklava for each of you. And I'd love for you just, you can take the top off, throw it. Baklava is a perfect example of a sweet sweetened with honey. It is all natural, it is beautiful, it is good. We got enough just to pass around and share. Just take some, pass it back. This is kind of like advanced communion. Um, <laughs> and we don't know if we have enough. If you sat at the back, there may be a couple at the back. But how many of you eat baklava on a somewhat regular basis, right? It, it's like a gift from God. I'm telling you, throw bluebell on that and you are in heaven. You are totally in, in heaven. They, it, it's naturally sweet. It has this sense of just, ah, oh, it's, it's done so well, right? So uh, it's a land where there are, there's great agriculture and they do sweets really well. It's also, if it's a land of milk, where there is milk, there is what? Where there's milk, there's also cheese, right? And where there is cheese, there is queso, right? <laughs> so this is, this is what I would propose to you, Ecclesia. I want you to reimagine um, the promised land. This is the land that flows with queso and baklava, okay? <laughs> and, and where there are cheese, there's also cows, which means there are steaks, right? This is a great place to be. God's saying, listen, this is such a great land, and I want to take you there. But he says, if you're going to get there, you're gonna to have to trust me and you're gonna to have to be willing to walk through the wilderness and you're gonna to have to become different people in the wilderness. So my job today, Ecclesia, as we prepare in the coming weeks to wind this series down, is to help you identify if you're living life in the wilderness, what life in the wilderness looks like, and then to prompt some questions for you that would help us decide, is it time to leave the wilderness and embrace the promised land, and then how would we do that what would we do if we want to do that? So I got five things I want you to think about that if you live life in the wilderness, this is what it looks like. And you can just hear these and try to identify, is this, um, is this part of what you see in your own life and journey? One of the things we know about life in the wilderness was that every day, God would rain down this miraculous substance, right? People would wake up in the morning, right, and gather this manna, right? It literally means... What is it? Every day they'd wake up and go, what is that? And every day they would gather it, KSS soul, what is it? Right? They would come and gather it, and every day they would have to gather what? Just enough for that day. That day. Now, I don't know where you're at, but how many of you are at this place that you go, I would bet nobody. You've got just enough food in your pantry for today. Anybody? I would bet there's nobody here that has just enough in your bank account for today. My guess is, most of us go, I got a few days, weeks, months, years, decades covered. Life in the wilderness, and it may not be money or food, but this is what you need to know. When you go through the wilderness, God's gonna take you to a place that you have to rely fully on him. Daily bread, hear this ecclesia, daily bread requires trust in God. If you live in the wilderness, what happens is God begins to take you through a trying time, a time that you have to come to the place that you go every day. If God doesn't show up, I can't make it through the day. And so my invitation to you often has been to learn this really simple prayer. It's a prayer you can pray with your breath, just, I need you, Lord. Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. 
Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. Lord, I need you. And that as God shapes us in the wilderness, if we can come to this place, that we really realize we are made to depend on God, and that every day God has to show up. I believe for most of us, as a part of our faith story, we had a season that we trusted in God. Some of us look back and go, three years ago, I was just so trusting in God. That was awesome. And the reality is we are made for so much more. Secondly, life in the wilderness becomes a routine. Wilderness life is just a routine. What happens in the wilderness is you go through the routine. You wake up and you find yourself doing the same thing over and over and over again. Day after day after day after day, it becomes the same thing. And you know what happens when you live in a routine? You miss the people that are right in front of you. You miss the beauty that's right in front of you. You're just caught in your routine. And what we desperately need are things that disrupt our routine. I, um, I found an opportunity a little more than a week ago to disrupt my routine. Um, one of the things you may know, Ecclesia has some great assets. Our people, many of the things that God's given us, God's given us opportunities to worship on a campus like this, a beautiful place in downtown at 1100 Elder. But one of our great assets is that God has allowed us uh, to work with the Houston Astros to buy a box of 64 seats. It's one of the best things we own, right? We got 64 seats to almost every game. And uh, as you can imagine, as a pastor, one of the difficulties when you do this is that um, when a really big series happens, like a series with the Yankees, it's really hard to figure out as a pastor, like, what do you do? Because everybody wants to go to the Yankees games. So I did what most good pastors would do. I just took all those seats. Um, I didn't take all of them. I took the Wednesday game. So last week, I decided that I was going to invite all of my neighbors uh, to the Yankees game. So I invited a bunch of neighbors and I posted it on our next door app. And about five o'clock on that Wednesday, I had all my neighbors over and they came over to my house and Stephen helped me uh, work the grill and Lisa helped provide a bunch of great snacks and we served chips and salsa and we grilled some jalapeno poppers and some chorizo and we uh, got everybody's glasses filled and then we loaded up into a big bus right outside my house and took 54 of my neighbors uh, down to the ballpark. This is our, uh, our neighborhood crew at the, the ball game. Uh, a little more than a week ago. And I tell you that to tell you this, this is what happened. When you take your neighbors to the ballpark, these were the people that I would typically see walking the dog. I'd see them on my way to the gym, and we were professionals at small talk. We had it down. Beautiful day today, good day, yeah, let's go. And we just kind of keep moving. And you know what's happened since I took my neighbors to the ballpark? We spent six hours together, right? between eating and getting on the bus and going downtown, and then the traffic after an Astros Rockets playoff thing, we just sat in traffic together. You either grow to love or hate people you sit in traffic with. By the time we got back, we'd spent six hours together. You know what happens now when I walk the dog? I got a lot extra time. Because when I see my neighbors, I can't just do small talk. I know them. I know their names. I know how many kids they have. I know a little bit about them, and I've got to engage them, right? Last week at our church, we were filled at Elder with people from my neighborhood who were like, who is this crazy pastor, right, that grills and brings people to the ball game? I go to the gym. I got a lot of different amount of time. This is what you need to know, Ecclesia. When you're trapped in the wilderness, you live in a routine, and you don't see the very people in front of you. You know what I found out? These were beautiful people with great stories and challenging struggles, and that all of us had ways that we could serve and help each other, and we disrupted the routine. 
Thirdly, when you live in the wilderness, you often live in survival mode. And by that, this is what I mean. In survival mode, you don't stop to mourn or to celebrate. When you live in survival mode, you just kind of keep an even keel. You don't really have much fluctuation emotionally. And what happens in survival mode in the wilderness, you just kind of go through the motions. The challenge of this is that the Bible has called us to be a people that mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. We're people that are called, literally, when people are struggling to enter into that pain. And now, as a church, this is one of the hardest things to do because what happens at Ecclesia is almost every day, we have babies being born. We have kids that are graduating. We have birthdays to celebrate. We have people getting promotions. We have people moving into new houses that they're thrilled about. We have all these things to celebrate. And simultaneously, we have people battling cancer. We have people that have lost loved ones. We have people that are struggling with depression and sickness and illness. And we've got to figure out, how do we be the people that enter into both? Now, this is what I'd suggest to you. It's not that you don't go to the wedding. Many of you go to the wedding and you show up with a gift, but you don't really celebrate with the bride and groom. You show up. It's not that you don't go to the funeral. You show up at the funeral and you sign the book, but you don't really enter in and mourn with the family. And life in the wilderness, you just keep an even keel. This is what you need to know. If you see that in yourself, you go, we're made for more. We're made for different. Fourthly, when you're living in the wilderness, this is what happens. We lose our spark. You know that unique thing that you have that lights up your eyes, this sense of like, I'm made to do this, I'm fired up about it, if you get me talking about it, you get me doing it, I'm just all about it. It gives you that spring in your step, that sense of purpose. What happens when we leave in the wilderness is that we just lose it. So there are many of us, it's like you're a teacher and you used to see it as this calling, as this gift, you get to shape young lives, right? And eventually it's just a job and you show up and you leave. In the wilderness, you lose that sense of spark and passion that we're made for. Then lastly, this is what you need to know about life in the wilderness. When you live in the wilderness, your ability to empathize with others is lost. You lose that sense of empathy, of being able to really see others in pain and really fully enter into. All of these symptoms are symptoms that the Bible talks about as a condition of the heart. In the Bible, this condition is known as a hardened heart. It's a heart that's become hardened, literally. And, and liter- in, in uh, Hebrews chapter three, this is what it says. This is found over and over again. It's a, it's a beckoning, it's a call you hear over and over again in the scriptures. You hear it in Hebrews three, and the writer of Hebrews says, listen now to the voice of the Holy Spirit through what the psalmist wrote today. If you listen to his voice, don't harden your hearts. And he talks about the children of Israel who hardened their hearts in the wilderness like they did in Meribah. And Ecclesia, you gotta hear this. If you're in the wilderness, the reason you're in the wilderness is because your heart has become hardened. And God wants, to, he wants you to stop and to listen and to hear him. The primary goal of the hardened heart is not to feel pain. It's not to be hurt. And a hardened heart just says, if I, if I can let these calluses form, if I can uh, allow these scars on my heart to protect me, then my heart won't be hurt. But it's not the way we're made to live. And so today, my job is to prompt you with some questions. 
some questions that would help you see, am I in the wilderness, and do I want to be in the wilderness, or do I want to be in the promised land, and what would it look like to live life in the promised land? So I struggled as I prepared the sermon, because I don't really have time for it, because there's a really big chunk of scripture that we want to hit, but I'm going to try to do it really fast. Um, And the only way I knew to set up well this question uh, was to allow it to be um, shaped by one of my favorite movies of the last couple of the decades. I'm going to show you just a brief clip. Um, I hope you're not in a hurry, and if you are, it's my encouragement to slow down. The road only runs one way anyway. It's going to take you a while to get out of here. This is a short clip from uh, one of my favorite films uh, where Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix portrays uh, Johnny Cash in a film called Walk the Line. And uh, at the beginning of the film, it's clear, like, J.R. Cash is just kind of a guy. He's an appliance salesman who plays a little bit of music. And he ends up in the recording studio of a guy named Sam Nash, Sam Nash was a well-known music producer. He discovered some really small artists like Elvis. And he sits down with J.R. Cash and his friends, and he um, proposes a question that I think transformed Johnny Cash's life forever. And my suggestion to you today is that uh, if we hear the question, uh, it can change ours as well. Jesus saved me, saved my soul, the very moment he forgave me. I'm sorry, I can't market gospel no more. So that's it? I don't record material that doesn't sell, Mr. Cash, and gospel like that doesn't sell. So is it the gospel or the way I sing? Both. What's wrong with the way I sing? I don't believe you. You're saying I don't believe in God? I want to understand. I mean, we come down here, we play for a minute, and he tells me I don't believe in God. You know exactly what I'm telling you. We've already heard that song a hundred times, just like that, just like how you sang it. Well, he didn't let us bring it home. (laughs) Bring it home? All right, let's bring it home. If he was hit by a truck, and you were lying out in that gutter dying, and you had time to sing one song, huh? One song people would remember before your dirt. One song that would let God know what you felt about your time here on earth. One song that would sum you up, you telling me that's the song you'd sing. That same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're gonna shout it. Or would you sing something different? Something real, something you felt. Because I'm telling you right now, that's the kind of song people want to hear. That's the kind of song that truly saves people. It ain't got nothing to do with believing in God, Mr. Cash. It has to do with believing in yourself. Well, I got a couple songs I wrote in the Air Force. You got anything in the Air Force? No. 
So, Ecclesi, I, uh, I hear you. Like, I'm not your music producer. Just your pastor. But I feel like I have to ask you the same question. Like, if you got one song to sing, if you got one life to live, you're telling me this is the song you're going to sing? This is the life you're going to live? Just like everybody else sings it and lives it just like everybody else? Are you made to do what everybody else does? Because I look at it and there's a part of me that just wants to go like, I don't know if I believe you. And I have the sense that maybe you're made for something else, that there's a unique song that you're supposed to sing, there's a unique life that you're supposed to bring in the world that nobody else can bring. And somehow you're mimicking other people's songs, other people's lives. And I wonder if, like Johnny Cash, if together we just said, you know what, I'm ready to live the life that I was made to live, that I'm uniquely gifted to share, that each one of us wouldn't be a part of a big symphony of changing everything. Isn't it fascinating to know that an artist like Johnny Cash, not the best singer in the world, not the best guitar player in the world, and yet, right, Johnny Cash is loved by my grandmother, I love Johnny Cash. My kids love Johnny Cash. How many artists can you find that are multi-generational that way? What was it about Johnny Cash? He told the truth. You believed him. And so I wonder, Ecclesia, 
What would it be like for us if we began to sing the unique song that we're made to sing? Is it possible that singing that unique song, living that unique life, would be what leads us into the promised land? Stephen, in the story of the early church in Acts, faced this kind of question. If you had one song left to sing, if you had one sermon left to preach, what would you preach? Stephen was a part of solving one of the big problems in the early church. There was conflict around the way they were feeding the hungry, specifically widows and orphans. And he was a part of solving that. And in the midst of it, some accusations were made against him that he was being a heretic, that he said things that were heretical. And so the Sanhedrin came to confront him And what we know in the story of Acts, the Sanhedrin comes to him and he realizes these are people that are not fans of me, they're not a fan of the way of Jesus, and they brought a charge against him, and the charge, if it could be proven, the punishment was death. And so Stephen steps forward and preaches what I believe is likely the second best sermon found in all the scriptures. The best one has gotta go to Jesus, right, because he's Jesus. Sermon he preached on a little mountain was a pretty great sermon. I think Stephen's comes in a distant second. And this is what Stephen says. I would read all of it to you, and yet I took up most of the sermon with Johnny Cash, so I don't know what that says about me. But this is what Stephen does. He says, literally, the story of God begins with Abraham. And when Abraham hears from God, God calls Abraham to do something nobody ever thought could be done something that sounded insane, to sing a totally different song, to live a totally different life, and to leave behind everything he knows and everything that's secure and everything that's safe and to go to a place that he doesn't know where he's going, right? Sounds like a great trip, right? Where do you want me to go, God? Just go. Where? Wherever I tell you. What are you gonna give me? I'm gonna give you descendants and I'm gonna give you a land. And you know what? He journeys and he journeys and he journeys and he's constantly turning to God going, Where are the descendants and where's the land? Says at one point he journeyed so long and yet Abraham didn't even own the dirt under his own footprint. He owned nothing, he had no children and yet he kept deciding, I'm gonna be faithful to God and do his calling. This is part of what it might look like for you. And in that place, right, it says, ultimately God blesses him, gives him descendants, tells the story of Isaac and Jacob And Jacob's children, and ultimately Joseph, who was despised by his brothers, was sent into slavery. In Egypt, he rose up into power. God used him in Egypt to preserve the food supply, that ultimately Jacob's other sons and Jacob make their way to Egypt to get food, and that in that place, they discover their brother Joseph. They end up staying in Egypt and uh, thriving in Egypt. They become so large that ultimately when a new Pharaoh comes into power, Stephen says, He's just summarizing so much of God's history. When a new Pharaoh comes into power that did not know Joseph, he was afraid of the Hebrew people because they had become large and powerful. And he sought to oppress them and he made them slaves. They started making bricks. And yet, after hundreds of years in slavery, God rescued his people miraculously in a way that was clear it was God, it wasn't the people. He used Moses. Moses appeared to God in a burning bush. And ultimately, he says, in the midst of all that, he leads them through the wilderness, and God would encounter them in this small tent, this tabernacle. Later, it would become a temple built by Solomon. But he says, the thing is that nobody's been able to figure out that often religious people get wrong is they think God's active only in the tent. And he says, God's active everywhere, and you don't even see it. And then, in Acts chapter 7, this is what he says. You can tell that he's probably thinking, these guys are going to kill me, so he just decides to go for it. 
And this is what he says to the Sanhedrin. He says, you stubborn, stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked is another word the Bible uses for hard-hearted. He says, you stubborn, hard-hearted people. Sure, you're physically Jews. He says, if you go take the 23andMe test, your DNA will show that you're Jewish by blood. But he says, your heart doesn't belong to God. He says, you're no different from outsiders in your hearts and your ears. You're just like your ancestors, constantly fighting against the Holy Spirit. Didn't your ancestors persecute the prophets? First, they killed those prophets who predicted the coming of the just one. And now, you betrayed and murdered the just one himself. He says, you think you know about God, and you don't know God. Your heart has become hardened. You're stuck in the wilderness. And so, Ecclesia, as we think about the words of Stephen, as we look at our own lives and say, if we're caught in the wilderness, what would it look like to get to the promised land? I got five things I want to share with you really briefly. If you want to leave the wilderness and move into the promised land, this is what I think it looks like. First one, if you want to leave the wilderness for the promised land, what you've got to be ready to do is rely on God. And by that, I mean really rely on God. Every day you wake up, praying that prayer, I need you, Lord. Lord, I need you. You live with the sense that if God doesn't show up today, everything's gonna fall apart. Everything you do is this awareness that God's present with you and that God's the one moving and guiding you. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing yet had been done. Far beyond that day in distant ages that I relied on God, every day you wake up with the sense of God has to show up. And that's when we're shaped into that place, we begin to move into the promised land. Secondly, we gotta leave behind the routine and be a people that pursue daily adventure. Life with God in the promised land is not filled with routine. It's not mundane. Every day it's filled with purpose and meaning and adventure, and you wake up every day going, there is no telling what will happen today. Paulo Coelho says it this way. He says, if you think adventure's dangerous, try routine, it's lethal. Routine will kill you. It's a meaningless life. We're made for a beautiful life that defies that sense of routine. And then thirdly, if you want to live in the promised land, you got to do just that. You got to live. You got to live and live well. My dear friend uh, Kyle Lake summarizes this the most beautiful way I've ever heard it said. Kyle was one of my dear friends that was on staff with me at the church that I started in Waco, Texas. And when I left Uh, UBC to come uh, start Ecclesia. Uh, Kyle took over as the pastor of that church. Kyle um, started out, he he hadn't preached much. He wasn't a very good preacher in the beginning, but he was a great pastor. And year after year, week after week, Kyle became a better preacher every week. Ultimately became a really gifted preacher. And in an awful accident uh, on a Sunday morning, Kyle was getting ready to preach and he, um, his life was taken in a electrocution in the baptistry. And uh, his life was taken in front of his congregation and his wife and his three kids. And later that day after Kyle had died, um, the staff pulled out the sermon that he was prepared to preach. And this is what Kyle says in the conclusion of that sermon. I think it may be the best conclusion to any sermon I've ever heard. Kyle summarizes life in the promised land this way and he says, live and live well. Breathe. 
Breathe in and breathe deeply. Be present. Do not be past. Do not be future. Be now on a crystal clear, breezy, 70-degree day, and there won't be many more of those. He says, roll down the window and feel the wind against your skin. Feel the warmth of the sun. If you run, then allow those first few breaths on a cool autumn day to freeze your lungs. And do not just be alarmed, be alive. Get knee-deep in a novel and lose track of time. If you bike, pedal hard. And if you crash, then crash well. Feel the satisfaction of a job well done, a paper well written, a project thoroughly completed, a play well performed. If you must wipe the snot from your three-year-old's nose, don't be disgusted if the Kleenex didn't catch it all, because soon he'll be wiping his own. If you've recently experienced loss, then grieve. And grieve well. At the table with friends and family, laugh. If you're laughing and eating at the same time, then you might as well laugh until you puke. And if you eat, then smell. The aromas are not impediments to your day. Steak on the grill, coffee beans freshly ground, cookies in the oven, and taste. Taste every ounce of flavor. Taste every ounce of friendship. Taste every ounce of life because it is most definitely a gift. Ecclesia, if you want to discover life in the promised land, wake up each day with a sense that life is worth living, that you want to feel the moment, you want to be in the present. You want to suck every ounce of beauty and joy out of this life that you possibly can. And sometimes that means sorrow as well. Fourthly, if you want to move into the promised land, this is what you got to do. God made you, each of us, with a unique passion. There are things that you're called to do and things that light you up that are different than anybody else in the world. And if you want to live in the promised land, this is what it looks like. You've got to be a people that chase your passion your unique passion. Stop living somebody else's life. Find the things that really ignite you and lean into them with all you have. My friend Mark Batterson says it this way, and I think he says it beautifully. He says, quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Now that's a sermon in and of itself, right? Think about that one later. He says, set God-sized goals. Pursue God-ordained passions. Go after a dream that's destined to fail without divine intervention. Keep asking questions. Keep making mistakes. Keep seeking God. Stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past and start creating the future. Stop playing it safe and start taking risks. Expand your horizons. Accumulate experiences. Enjoy the journey. Find every excuse you can to celebrate everything you can. Now that's a great way to live, isn't it? Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. It's great advice. It's promised land living. And then lastly, if you wanna enter into the promised land, this is what you gotta be willing to do. You've gotta be willing to feel the joy and the pain of others. This is what I wanna invite you to do. When you got people around you that have something to celebrate, what you often do, I'm, I'm telling you, Ecclesia, it's sad, but so many of us live in this constant state of envy that we struggle to really celebrate with those people that are experiencing victory and beauty and hope. And that sense of envy 
That'll drag you back into slavery. But if you can see people that have something to celebrate and really lean in and celebrate with them, it's a gift, both to you and to them. And you also are gonna have people, your neighbors, your friends, your family, your coworkers, who are struggling. You can literally see them vibrating. You see them suffering. You can see, you can see it. And what we often do is we say, let's avoid them, right? We all have neighbors and coworkers. We go, if they're coming down one hall, we go down the other. What I invite you to do instead is to say, will you lean in to that pain with them? You don't have to live there permanently, but if you can just lean in, touch their hand, give them a moment to say, hey, is there a way I can help you? Invite them to share their pain, their suffering with you so that they know you can hear it. What can happen is often you'll see them. Begin to exhale some of that pain. How many of you experienced someone offering that as a gift to you? When they could see you struggling, they came and just said, hey, I'm here, right? And in it, you felt like you got to spread some of it around. That's what the Bible tells us. We're made to carry one another's burdens. And if no one leans in to carry your burden with you, it becomes too much to bear. Ecclesia, we're made to be a people that live in that promised land. I believe that God's called us to be the kind of Christian community that says to a hurting world, a struggling world, a world where everybody's trying to live life just like they've seen everybody else live it, there's a different way to live it. And if we can do that well in one of the most remarkable cities on the planet, that God will use us in this neighborhood and across the globe. I wanna take a moment to pray for you. I'm gonna pray these specific things over you, that God would gift you and enable you to live in this way and do the same for me. Lord God, I thank you that the narrative of the Exodus is not just a narrative in history. It's a lens in which you call us to live a different life. That we get to see your saving work, not just for your people historically, but for us today. And our prayer, God, is that you would shape us and form us, that you make us new people as you guide us through the difficulties of the wilderness. And that on the other end of it, that we can emerge in the promised land as a people that are ready to really rely on you every day that are ready to find our unique passion and live into it and chase that purpose with all that we have. Lord, we pray we'd be a people that live well, that we experience pain and suffering, that we enjoy the present, and that you prepare us well for the future. We pray, God, that you would give us an ability to empathize with others, both in joy and in suffering. And in that place, you would change. Lord, we'd still live in the same place. We may live in the same house. We may live in the same city. But ultimately, in the same geographical location, we'll find that the way we see the world is not through a wilderness lens, but through a promised land lens. And that we together are living in the land of promise, the land of abundance, the land of milk and honey, the land of queso and baklava, the land where everyone has enough, where everything is shared. And in that place, Lord, you would do an amazing work in our hearts. God, we ask you to soften our hardened hearts. We ask you today, Lord, to bless this bread. We believe that it's a physical reminder that you know empathy. The scriptures tell us that you came into the world and that you suffered in every way that we could suffer. You were tempted in every way that we could be tempted. And so, Lord, we know that the beginning and the understanding of our faith is built upon your empathy with us. We thank you for this wine and juice. Lord, we thank you that this cup reminds us that we're a forgiven people, that you've forgiven us, and that we're called to forgive others. Lord, may we live out this truth well. 
We pray this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.